Hi, everyone. I'm Ophelia, your host of My Work, My Baby. I am so excited to welcome Maple onto our podcast today. She is one of my best friends, and we were roommates in college, so we know each other well. But Maple, for everyone else, can you introduce yourself, what you do, and what your partner does? Yeah, absolutely. I lived with Ophelia in college. We both went to Princeton. I majored in economics and minored in finance. And then I did investment banking, some strategic planning at Disney. And then now I'm working at a company called IT Renew, which focuses on reducing the carbon footprint of companies with data centers. And I'm a director of finance there. So I report into the CFO and I do kind of everything under the finance organization. So I do FP&A, strategic planning, business intelligence, some might call it, and then investor relations. So all those functions. And then my partner, Neil, he is a postdoctoral researcher at the Gladstone Institutes uh, here in San Francisco, and it's affiliated with UCSF. Nice. It's so funny because I know you from a personal perspective, but to hear your work trajectory and everything, I'm just more impressed. Um, (laughs) I think I've always seen you as making things look very easy and doing everything at once, but, you know, still having time to do other things in your life, like cook together, hang out together. And so when you mentioned to me that you were trying to get pregnant, I think you were one of those people where I was like, oh, it'll be easy for Maple. She'll like figure it out. I think that it probably will pose a lot of challenges that neither Mm -hmm. you nor I anticipate at all for your life. So the first thing I'm curious about is how did you decide this was the time to try? Because I know you Mm -hmm. both have been in San Francisco for a while. So you've had that opportunity like being together. That's a really good question. I feel like it's really hard because I'm not sure there's ever a time that's perfect. And I actually talked to my parents a lot about how they Mm -hmm. were ready for me. And my dad said, you know, nobody is ever ready. You just become ready once the baby is like born. (laughs) You just become ready because you have to be ready. And then, you know, you kind of like figure it out as you go. So I think that kind of took some pressure off of me. I can't speak for Neil. I feel like, you know, he is really responsible. I'm really lucky. So he was like, I feel like we need to prepare more. And I was like, let's just jump right into it. (laughs) (laughs) I think also like practically speaking, he's kind of at the end of his postdoc years. He's been there a while. He's had high impact publications and he's starting to think about grant for faculty positions, right? So Mm -hmm. he's ready for that next step. And that next step comes with like some stability, both geographically for his career. For me, I think I'm already at a pretty stable point in my career. My current boss is like the best boss I've ever had. And my company has like amazing balance because everyone has kids. Our CEO, actually, his wife gave birth in the pandemic in like June. And I hadn't seen him since March. So I didn't know she was pregnant. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And then we're on a Zoom and then he's just like, (laughs) This little guy wants to say hi. And oh it was how I found out that his wife had been pregnant because he brought his newborn into our Zoom. That's so it's, crazy. It's like so much easier for guys in the workplace because, you know, I, I didn't know until that baby was born. Right. There's no showing or anything like that. Though yeah. I would say that with COVID, one thing that I've seen is it's also a lot easier for women to not tell people that they're pregnant if they don't want to, because obviously you can't see on the video screen. Exactly. Did that affect at all this early stage? Like once you had gotten pregnant, when you were thinking about it, kind of being in this COVID setting? Yeah, I think being in COVID is a horrible pandemic for the nation, but it's really been a great equalizer for the gender. (laughs) 
I mean, nobody would ask specifically to see below your shoulders. I think that's an HR violation. (laughs) (laughs) Let me see. Show me your stomach. Why do you think that matters from a broader perspective? Why do you think that's even a consideration for women and not a consideration for men? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's because really inconvenient (laughs) to be pregnant in the workplace. From what I've noticed being in week 16 now, the first trimester, you're tired all the time. And I didn't have that bad of morning sickness, but I definitely yeah. was easily nauseated by smells. And I could, oh, I, and I had a really heightened sense of smell. So if someone were probably making lunch and it was strongly, you know, some vegetable smell, I probably would have started gagging. And I, I feel like people are either thinking that you're sick with something and then they want to avoid you. Or people who have been pregnant, they might suspect something. Yeah. And then it's just the office rumor mill. It just kind of becomes problematic. And I think like as soon as you start showing, you have to tell people and it might not be like the time that you ideally want to tell your boss and HR and stuff like that. So I think that was a a big consideration as well. It's really easy to kind of keep it a secret. And do you You think that you would have been treated differently in terms of your work responsibilities or your personal interactions or anything related to your work if people did know? It's an interesting question. You know, I think in my position, I'm the only person that does my specific function in the company. It's not like I'm on a team of two or or three people with some overlapping responsibilities where we allocate different projects. So I think for me, it's a little less likely the case that they would put me on less work, but I might be less involved in some of the strategic discussions around some of my work. You know, it might be less meaningful of an experience for me. So have you done anything then or been thinking about ways to transition in terms of your role as you go towards maternity leave? Yeah, yeah. I've been thinking about first, like the timing, because I was also (laughs) thinking about applying for this executive MBA program on the weekends, right? And that application was due last week (laughs) or like- Oh my gosh. Weeks ago. So you already applied? I already applied, yes, but I have the potential to like defer matriculation for a year. I see. Okay. But I think it would have been really chaotic if my boss were thinking about writing me that recommendation letter and also the potential for me to be out on leave and how Mm -hmm. I would balance these things. And I think Mm -hmm. it's just, it's nicer for me to have the time to figure out how I'm going to balance these things, whether I even want to balance them or if I want to defer by a year before telling him this kind of plan. Yeah, it's really interesting to me that while COVID has really taken away a lot of our other freedoms, it has paradoxically given you more control over how you create this narrative around your pregnancy that a lot of people aren't afforded. I find this so funny, you know, in pregnancy, I see people who are pregnant all the time. And sometimes my patients will tell me that people will just randomly touch your belly or come and ask you all these things, even if normally in society, it's not okay in the elevator to be like, so tell me about like, is it a boy or a girl? Is it yeah. whatever? And this invasion of personal space that occurs when you're pregnant, that doesn't seem to be welcome or allowed in other instances in society. And I think this is another example of that, that we forget about. It's not all positive. This joy and excitement around your pregnancy can also be something that is out of your control and very overwhelming. Yeah, I've, I've definitely heard that a lot of pregnant women and even people who have already given birth feel like their body becomes somewhat of a public good <laughs> when they <laughs> become pregnant. It's a conversation piece for total strangers to yeah. like, they don't even ask you what your name is. They're just touching your belly. 
Oh, and that's the other kind of positive of the Zoom thing, right? Nobody would ever say, wow, your face is looking fatter. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, the anonymity that Zoom affords us. I feel like we'll revisit this once your baby is born and you've recovered postpartum and all of that. But at this point in time, how long do you anticipate working during your pregnancy? And then do you anticipate continuing any of your role during that maternity leave period? And do you think that affects what will happen to your role and how people perceive your leave? Yeah, I think that's a good question. When I first started thinking about planning leave, I started from the maximum time off, right? (laughs) So the maximum time off, I can take four weeks of short-term disability before the due date. And then I can take 12 weeks of Family Medical Leave Act after the due date, right? Right. So, but (laughs) we have a board meeting that is two and a half weeks before my due date. So I was thinking it would be best if I was in that board meeting. Yeah. Um, And I think that two and a half weeks is early enough that I wouldn't have an early labor that starts in my 37th week. I hope, knock on wood. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, I can just kind of take leave after that. So I had already like shortened it a little bit just for the kind of convenience of our corporate calendar. And then I was thinking, well, you know, we have our next board meeting after that um, sometime in mid-August. So it would actually be a little bit shorter than like the full length of my intended maternity leave. And I was like, hmm, I, I think I could come back for that. Although I suspect if I tell my boss, you know, I, I'm planning to take maternity leave just basically the day after we finish that May board meeting. I think he would say, you know, don't feel like in a rush to come back for the August board meeting. You know, I think he would be very considerate, even if yeah. I were to offer. offer so, to do it. Yeah. So I think in terms of timing, I would probably keep it close to my due date, but maybe take advantage of two up to three weeks beforehand. I would offer to be available, but with the caveat that I'm going to have a very slow response time. Right, right. Um, Because you're managing all the other things. What do you think has been Neil's role, like your partner's role as you both continue this pregnancy together? We also talked about his leave. I think he has uh, up to eight weeks of leave. And then, of course, no time before the due date, right? Yeah. But I think that he would need to start his leave probably a little bit before my due date, just in case I go into Yeah, that way he can be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then he can drive me or, or maybe we do some like vacation days, because we've certainly got a lot of those built up from COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we can do that and just kind of be prepared for beforehand. And I think it'll be really important for us to take leave at the same time. Because mm-hmm. what we've heard from other people who've had children and gone on leave in staggered periods is that like, when you're on leave, but your partner isn't on leave, it's just really difficult because, you know, you want to like take a shower or put the baby down, right? But there's no one else to watch the baby. I think other people have done staggered leaves because they were thinking of maximizing their total time. Right, the time, yeah. Yeah, and then they, you know, recommended against that. So I didn't think about that. Yeah, Yeah. and it, it like highlights how much parenting can be helped by it being like a two person or even more. Like some people hire extra family members or have the money to hire like nannies or other people. But there's this very much inequality in the amount of leave per parent, especially if you're going to stack them together instead of stagger them. And that kind of highlights more how it'll be different for both of you, how that experience will be very different. Because you'll have essentially an extra one to two months where you get more time, but you're essentially by yourself. And then how do you take care of yourself and, and the baby at the same time? 
with those going yeah, forward. Right. And especially for us, when Neil is working, he'll have to drive to commute in. That also means that we have no car, you know, <laughs> if, <we're, laughs> if you need to go so. get something from the store. <laughs> yeah. You've got to post made everything or order everything, I guess. We talked about how with COVID, it made it so you could plan more when to tell people about your pregnancy, how that affects the role that you have at work and things like that. But how has work from home in itself affected this process for you? Being mm. able to work from home and not go into the office, which is what you used to do. I'm just wondering how oh, much yeah. this will influence other people, because I have m- many friends who have decided that this is the time, despite being in a pandemic, that's actually most yeah. convenient when they look at their life as a whole. And I'm wondering why. For me personally, I had a really long commute, you know, before the pandemic. It was and so long. Will you yeah, share with everybody how long your commute was? It was it was up to two and a half hours each way. And so at that time, I was working from home two days a week. So the transition mm-hmm. to full-time working from home was kind of smoother for me. But even three days a week of a five-hour commute, I mean, that's just too much time. That's almost a full extra day or more than a full extra working day commuting. And I remember I would be so tired in the mornings. I would fall asleep on the bus, but I would be really exhausted. I would never feel like I got good quality sleep. I would Mm -hmm. get home. I would be again tired and I would have no time. And, you know, that was me riding a bus and not driving. Driving. Yeah. And that really wears on you. I mean, I remember when I was in medical school, I did a commute, but much shorter than yours, where it was an hour each way. And even then, that extra time of planning, door to door, it's always longer. Than, yeah, that's than right. The because time. of the transfers, like the way, oh mm-hmm. yeah, I forgot to mention, I had two transfers. <laughs> and so, so it was just like, I have to be awake, you know, and mm-hmm. standing. And sometimes mm-hmm. like, cold, although we're really lucky in California that the weather is pretty mm-hmm. mild. So when I say cold, it's not that's actually so bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but compared to when, you know, we were in Jersey and it snowed off. Yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> we went no, through those no, uh, no terrible, <laughs> what was it called? Snowmageddon? <laughs> yeah, Snowmageddon. <laughs> so I guess it bought you a lot more time, it sounds like, in terms of your day-to-day work yeah. life. So I guess some people would say as they go into this transition, they would take on less responsibility, but you've decided that this is the time to add on an MBA and take on more responsibility. (laughs) What went into that decision for you? I think it's just when you take five hours of commuting that I was previously just listening to like podcasts and audiobooks and falling asleep (laughs) in a low quality kind of way. Yeah. And then you make that available. Plus, Mm -hmm. you make all of the hours in the day between meetings and doing work available. You know, it's not like you're just kind of sitting at your desk waiting around. Yeah, um, it's the flexibility, huh? Yeah, yeah. So you can do like pretty productive things in that time that maybe you would have to wait to come home to do like load the dishwasher. You know, you can just kind of like load it and then run it while you're in a meeting in the other room. I wish our society really placed more emphasis on the productivity of the hours you put in as opposed to the absolute amount of time. Because COVID has really highlighted that just having a lot of time does not ensure productivity. Many of us have had more time than we've ever had, including me as a a resident, because there were times where we were rotating who was on and off to prevent our whole workforce from getting infected with COVID. Mm -hmm. And despite having a week or two at home to study and read and things like that, I don't think I was quite as productive as when I had the routine of going into the office and having this crunch time of, okay, this is the two hours I have to complete something. 
I almost feel like if we were more understanding of that or more companies were more, this flexibility would be more available to us to yeah. allow for these other pieces in our lives, including things like running the dishes or taking care of the baby or something. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not like it's an explicit agreement with your company that during my time in between meetings, it's okay for me to do these other things, right? But we all do it. Yeah. I, think. I don't think there's anybody who like in between meetings is like, I'm going to gl- stay glued to my computer. There's no <laughs> way I'm going to leave it for any second of the day while I'm like on the clock. I think people find ways to put their time and work and and do it in a way that that fits their schedule. Yeah. For example, back when I was going into the office, I would have to do a full face of makeup every morning. Oh, right. I would you know, dress in business casual clothing. Mm -hmm. But when I wanted to go to the gym in the middle of the day for exercise class, you know, I'd have to take the time to walk to the gym, change out of my clothes, leave everything Mm -hmm. in a locker, do the class afterwards, Mm -hmm. shower, and then reapply Mm -hmm. makeup as needed, and then change back into those clothes. But now I'm just in my pajamas and workout clothes all day. Right. And And you're ready at any moment. (laughs) And this may be true, like if you decide to breastfeed later, and this is part of it, and we'll talk about this postpartum, but how that fluidity in your role allows you to save time in your day. And I think we don't really think about that. You could totally breastfeed while you're just typing away at your computer. And especially for my work, being Excel focused, it's like very feasible to do that kind of multitasking. Whereas I don't think many places would allow you to breastfeed at your desk just for HR considerations. Well, you're actually, I think you're supposed to be allowed to do that. And in our workplaces, we have specific rooms that are dedicated to nursing. But I guess you're right. It isn't like your desk. Mm -hmm. It's some other area of the hospital or the workplace that takes you away from the work you're doing. Though, you know, if we had a choice, like you're saying, we would just do it at our desk and be able to continue on. That's right. You can save time by doing your work while you're breastfeeding because you don't need your hands if you have like like, or, you know, a pillow or something like that. And then you you can use your thinking to the extent that you have kind of calories yeah. I wonder if training. the blurring that we see with COVID at home will transfer to the workplace. For example, people using their standing desks at home or riding their bike while they're like working at home. Like people do all sorts of interesting multitasking things at home that wouldn't have been structurally available in the workplace. I wonder how many mm-hmm. offices will adopt this as we transition back to work from the office. It gives a lot yeah. to think about, I think, from a structural standpoint. Like if you were to design the ideal workplace that is baby family friendly, what would that mm-hmm. look like? And would any of this work from home piece of it? be part of that yeah yeah it's it's really interesting because in order to do that you know everyone would need a closed off office right a little mm-hmm. bit of the privacy that work from home allows right. maybe the space floor plans of traditional workplaces don't allow that but I think that you're right COVID has brought up the question which is let's rethink the way that we currently lay out our offices yeah. just generally and then I think it's also like gone one step further and made people think do we even need offices at all, right? And there are some companies that are going office free. and Right, um, like forever. Yeah. And I actually suggested that to our HR and executive staff. I think, you know, HR was pretty supportive, actually. And I think it would save a lot of money. And it would be pretty convenient for our work staff, which come from all different parts of the Bay Area. So like East Bay, 
-hmm. we've got South Bay, we've got the city itself. Some people live north of the city. So Mm -hmm. everyone's commutes are actually kind of pretty long in total. And we could probably just have four WeWork spaces even. And that would be (laughs) way cheaper. It'd be really easy. But I think for our particular executive staff, there's a strong belief in the need for in-person interaction. I think that's because Mm -hmm. a a large portion of them are actually extroverted by nature. So they prefer that they feel more productive themselves. And I think that drives a lot of the decision making. But at companies that are more software tech startups Mm -hmm. with younger, perhaps more introverted kind of leaders, I think Mm -hmm. they've really taken it seriously and made big changes to their structure and geographical location and things like that. And I bet some of it's some kind of our communication style too. Like how comfortable are we communicating online and via video versus how much are we used to doing in-person meetings or over the phone and and our effectiveness there. But I have heard the opposite too, that kind of bringing your work to home in a space where there's no separation from your child and childcare and other responsibilities can impact your own productivity and also take away resources that you used to have to Mm -hmm. be able to have help with your children. So I think it's interesting to think that what could be the most ideal situation for you before you deliver may be different than the ideal situation with you after you deliver. Yeah, it's so kind of ironic. (laughs) Can you imagine like a separate antepartum, postpartum kind of work work life? Yeah, I mean, I have heard that the people who have, especially young children, but who are old enough to be walking and talking, Mm -hmm. you know, so they've got some semblance of independence, but they still need a lot of care and attention. That is kind of the sweet spot for where they would really love to have childcare, but the pandemic has made that mm-hmm. inconvenient or really impossible. hard. Yeah. yeah. And so it makes it so hard for them to focus during the day. There's just no separation. And it's really hard to do either of those full time already. And it's hard mm-hmm. to do them both at the same time if you have a meeting, but your kid is rifling through the knives in the kitchen or something. Oh, you know? God. Well, one thing I think the pandemic has shown all of us is that we do have the ability to be innovative and to really change our systems if mm-hmm. there's a big enough impetus for it. And how much of what we do day to day is grounded in history and not necessarily grounded in what is most practical for us today. And I hope that as we go forward, we are able to have more power in creating One of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is because I have so much anxiety about this idea. You know, one day when I want to have kids, I think about me and the fact that my partner is also in medicine and we're working all the time. How are we ever going to do this within a system that just doesn't seem really set up for it? So I am leaning advice and wisdom from everyone around me. And hopefully this (laughs) brings about a bigger conversation. So I'm really excited to kind of interview you after the delivery. I'm sure there will be many more things to discuss. Yeah. But thank you so much for coming and talking to us and sharing so candidly your thoughts and experiences and just insights into finance, corporate culture and tech that I don't get to see as much other than peripherally from you. Do you have any other thoughts or things that you want to say before we finish? Yeah, I think I will definitely be continually surprised. And I think So far, things that I expected to be my biggest headaches during pregnancy (laughs) were not. And then... Oh, really? Like what? Like I thought the morning sickness would be a huge obstacle to overcome. And I thought people complain about stretch marks or gaining weight too quickly or, (laughs) you know, things like that. And for me, the heartburn, I can't deal with the heartburn. Oh, man. 
<laughs> people also talk about just being so, so tired in first trimester and then yeah. second trimester being just the honeymoon phase and you have all your uh-huh. energy. Back. And I was sleepy in the first trimester, but not to the extent that I expected. And, and now it's early second trimester, but I certainly don't always feel like I have all my energy back. I still feel sleepy. I had eight hours yeah. of but I could go for a nap and I'm not sure that I could be as productive on my weekend days basically as I would otherwise. I I think that's so hard because when you're used to a certain level of productivity or used to a certain routine for yourself, this unpredictability that pregnancy introduces is hard on so many aspects of your life. It can be really hard. Yeah, I'm sure I'll have this sort of a thing with the postpartum period as well, where (laughs) the things that I was planning would be my biggest concerns might be a little better than I expected. And then things Mm -hmm. might just come out of left field and really surprise me and maybe overwhelm me. So we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I just realized how much of a full-time job being a mom really is. And all I see is the medical aspect. I don't see the financial piece of it. I don't see the family, home life, social conflict, all of that. So I know that there's so much more than that tip of the iceberg. And even just seeing the tip, how do people do it? So yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And I think even with a really supportive partner, I think it's really hard for us to think about Yeah, how we're going to time sleep schedules or Mm -hmm. commuting schedules. And even with the luxury of being able to send our child to daycare when things are safer. When things are better. Yeah. And being able to even afford daycare is already like a huge consideration, but how will we schedule it? You know, and there are a lot of daycares that are just from 8am to 1pm, you know, for really Mm -hmm. young children. Mm-hmm. And that's not convenient. How do you do that way. for your job? Have you started sharing with people the name of your baby? Only some people. Okay. Not then we'll keep it secret, people. but we will keep that a surprise for after your pregnancy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I am so happy. This is the first episode in our podcast series on career moms and working and figuring all of that out and how it really shapes our understanding of the environment we're in and, and our goals moving forward. So I hope that people enjoyed this. If they have additional questions for you or for me, I really encourage everyone. I think in the ratings, you can put little comments or email us. I created one at myworkmybaby at gmail.com. And if you have anyone who you think would be great to be featured or you want their story shared, just let me know. And I would love to interview them and feature them. Oh, well, I'm honored to be a guest on your show. And thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye, Ophelia.